that night the city burnt, and the mother church of the city burnt with her. And yet the tower and the spire still stand, soaring to the sky, and I feel that's an emblem of the eternal majesty and love of God. Greetings. You are tuned into the Miserable Offenders podcast. Pull up a chair and join the conversation as we seek answers to life's big questions, drawing wisdom from the well of traditional Anglican theology. This is a production of the North American Anglican. Hello and welcome again to the Miserable Offenders podcast, sometimes called the Venerable Offenders or just the Venerables and Jesse. Uh, My name is Jesse Nigro and I am the editor of the North American Anglican. That's NorthAmAnglican.com on the internet. And we're on Twitter and Facebook too, so search us up. We we do good uh, Orthodox Anglican theology for uh, various churchmanships um, or churchwomanships, if that's your thing. And um, but here I get to hang out with um, two dear friends who are um, real champions, real venerables in the Anglican world: um, the Archdeacon Andrew Brazier and Archdeacon Isaac Rayberg. Um, as far as uh, what's new with me since last time we spoke, I got to say, um, not very much. Uh, although it's hot here in Omaha, Nebraska, and the College World Series is a booming. We've got like one tourism moment in our little city, and this is it. So parking is not great. Uh, a lot of people who don't know which roads are the one-way streets are going down the wrong way. And the rest of us are just glad for the tax break. So um, go sports ball uh, from here in Omaha. (laughs) And uh, how about you, Andrew? Anything new? Well, I got to comment on that because uh, like the local news here, if we're just going to tell you a lot about our local news, um, you know, I'm over in Alabama. And so Auburn is like facing an elimination game uh, as we're recording. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But the local news published like some bar that you're probably familiar with that has some sort of like jello shot contest. And they were talking about how the Arkansas fans are like killing it. <laughs> They've got like, <laughs> I-, I swear, like I saw a blurb for it, but I think I saw a quick thing of the whiteboard where they're keeping tally. And the Arkansas fans, I think, were like a thousand up on the closest fans. So I don't know if they came to win a ball game or they came to win a, a jello shot contest, but they're there. So. <laughs> There's something in the jello in Arkansas, huh? Something there. <laughs> what can you say? I don't know. But uh, no, I, I guess what's news for me is um, I went uh, pretty recently to the uh, EFAC, EFAC uh, USA conference, uh, which is the Evangelical Fellowship of Anglican Churches. Um, and uh, first time to, to go there, uh, they graciously invited me. I, I was really uh, thankful for the invite. Um, they were. Um, I don't know if you'd say gracious or dumb enough to invite me to, to go up there and talk about uh, praying uh, with families in Anglican tradition. Uh, I have that little small booklet of, you know, one part, you know, kind of my experience being a father and kind of, you know, creating an atmosphere of family prayer. And really the gist of it was republishing uh, Bishop uh, Edmund Gibson's um, family prayers that he had published 
uh, throughout the Diocese of London several hundred years ago, along with a set of so-called godly prayers that used to be attached to the prayer book, also about this at the same time period. Uh, long story short, great time at the conference. Uh, I was up in, uh, in Nash, Vegas, and uh, I got to see you know, some people that I've um, that I jokingly called my wife, you know, internet friends. You know that, that we've we've gotten to know each other through uh, the interwebs, and then I actually got to meet each other in person, uh, much like ourselves. You know, um, Archdeacon Isaac and I have been able to run into each other a couple of times now. Um, Jesse, we still know that he's a, a real person, although me and Isaac have joked when you're not on the episode that maybe we just kind of make you up and we're just kind of, you know, filling in your voice. But no, Jesse's very much real. Uh, looking forward to being able to, to meet in person, too. But a good time at the conference. Great to meet uh, faithful uh, Episcopalians who are all about the gospel, along with faithful uh, Anglicans, uh, not just within like the ACNA and also Episcopal Church, but also from some other uh, jurisdictions um, working um, to, to really see how can we enliven our respective uh, parishes and equip the laity when it comes to the gospel. Yeah, I, I really like the EFAC people and um Pretty much all of my favorite Episcopalians tend to be very involved with EFAC, and um, they 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 give they give me hope for uh, the uh, the denomination that baptized me, and then I didn't really see them again. <laughs> that's not 100% true, but that's mostly true. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so so yeah, I'm I'm the uh, the Venerable Isaac Rayburg, the the Archdeacon for Liturgy in the Anglican Diocese of the West, and the Rector of All Saints Anglican Church in San Antonio. And uh, mostly the news for me is that um, my my brand brand newly priested curate um, told me I'm giving you August off. So go go, go enjoy uh, go enjoy four weeks. And then uh, our regional archdeacon promptly said to me, oh, come over and preach. But uh, <laughs> and so if you are in my parish and you're listening to this, this might be the first time you're hearing about it unless you're on vestry when we discussed it. But uh, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. I haven't seen um, that kind of uh, uh, time off since ordination, really. And so my, my wife and I plan on visiting some other parishes, doing a little bit of uh, get, getting a weekend away from the kids and then doing some stuff with the kids. So that, that'll be real good. So since you're visiting other parishes, you could, you know, just walk in there and maybe act like you're a certain bishop whom you bear a certain resemblance to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so so um, one of our suffragan bishops, uh, Bishop Scott Seeley, and I uh, look look quite a bit alike. We're both uh, relatively the same size, same age, uh, bald white guys with big beards. And so at Synod and, both and very handsome men. So that's why you're both confused for each other. So I, I, I receive that blessing. I receive that word. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, so we, we also had Synod not too long ago. And um, one of the one of the fun things of Synod is uh, uh, folks getting us mixed up for each other. And so we, we, we've often joked that if he uh, ever gets too tired being up in the spotlight, We'll just uh, change cassocks. I, I said, I told him one time I would be the Kira Knightley to his Natalie Portman. For those of y'all that are Star Wars Episode One people, <laughs> well placed, well placed. <laughs> awesome. Well, on that note, uh, that's great. Well, well, first of all, um, congrats on getting some some leisure time. Uh, I heard once that leisure is the basis of culture, so I, I expect you to be very, very cultured when you come back. Uh, from from this uh, time away, um, no, you're you're all you guys are all already 
very cultured. I'll make sure to have a tweed jacket with uh, elbow patches and a, and a pipe. <laughs> Excellent. That's the there way to go. do it. <laughs> we do it right here on Miserable Offenders. Um, well, uh, good to hear from you guys. Um, and uh, I guess today's topic is uh, sort of, I'm supposed to be leading it. Oh, boy. Um, I had the pleasure of being on the Ars Politica podcast recently um, with uh, Tom and Steven. And uh, those guys have a, a pretty great uh, podcast that focuses on what you might call sort of orthodox Protestant political theory and all sorts of things that kind of uh, uh, intersect with those ideas. And um, I was on talking about classical Christian education um, and specifically uh, some of the economic uh, concerns or issues surrounding such. Now, um, we are all uh, dads uh, and we all have uh, children who God has given us the duty to raise up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And for my, you know, re reckoning, uh, it seems to me that, and this kind of occurred to me, to be honest with you, this might just mean that I'm weird, but like when I found out that my wife was pregnant with our firstborn, um, you know, so this is nearly uh, 12 years ago, I immediately thought to myself, this is a massive weight of responsibility and I need to figure out what the proper way pedagogical method is to raise Christians in this crazy world. Um, which immediately led me into some classical Christian education, uh, directions. Um, so that kind of got me on the trail, but speaking generally, um, what, what is, uh, your take, uh, either one of you or both please on classical ed, um, what it means, uh, education, you know, in your own household and, uh, relating to Ang maybe the Anglican church. Yeah, we, we um, were trying to get um, our eldest into a, uh, a local classical um, charter school, uh, Great, Great Hearts Academy. Um, unfortunately, the, we, we, we missed out um, when she was going into kindergarten. And so we, we have her in a different uh, system and we're going to we're, we're pretty much planning to keep her there, you know, unless something really crazy starts to happen at the school. Um, and when we really like the school she's in, but yeah, we, we have a very big presence here locally, um, of, uh, the great hearts Academy. As a matter of fact, several of, of, of our parishioners, uh, teach there and several other parishioners take their kids there. So it's, it's, um, it's a real big thing for us here locally. Um, and, and I think, I think in general, it's, it's just been really good for those that have been involved, um, for, for the most part. And, um, I, I think it's a, it's good to see this recovery of a great books tradition, a recovery of something that is um, based on an older system of learning that frankly produced better results. Um, I, I, am, I am always amazed at how, looking, looking at previous generations of Anglican clergy, um, I kind of feel like I'm a little kid trying to dress up in my parents' suit, you know? 
a lot of times, um, just because some of the educational background that they all take for granted, um, I didn't have. And, and, and I'm having to play catch up in my forties, which is a really bad way to do things. Yeah, no doubt. I think a lot of us, uh, feel that way, especially those of us who like, like to learn, you know, um, but Hey, never, never better late than never. Right. Mm -hmm. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll just add, you know, like the movement, you know, has obviously blossomed. Uh, here locally where I'm at, it has as well, uh, although sadly, there's a uh, not a close classical um, education academy, uh, except for about, oh, 60 miles or something like that uh, south of us. But it's where some dear friends uh, of ours live at, and they've uh, gone with homeschooling with a uh, classical education uh, co-op. They're loving it. Um, they're greatly enjoying it. We're still doing it old-fashioned way. We have our kids um, in public school. But what I've done is really tried to figure out how to supplement and make sure that the true education of our children, you know, is holistic and complete. And also with a very cautious eye on just, you know, watching and seeing what's, you know, coming in through the door, uh, what's being taught, uh, you know, locally at our public school. Because I very much foresee uh, a time in which I'm going to have to make the decision of, we got to figure out a way in which to either uh, homeschool or bite the bullet and try to, to educate them in some sort of uh, private uh, schooling fashion. So I'm uh, very interested in it, very encouraged by uh, so many uh, men and women who I respect um, who are either doing it, you know, through homeschooling, you know, forming co-ops, uh, going out, forming new ventures. I feel like several of our mutual friends have started a couple of like Anglican uh, classical uh, education schools, or if they're not classical schools, they're at least creating separate institutions that will have religious uh, education, which is very encouraging. So shout out to um, Dr. Uh, Eric Parker there, the Reverend Dr. Eric Parker over in uh, Lexington, Virginia, God's country as I call it. <laughs> mm. It's gorgeous out there. Uh, and also, goodness gracious, uh, He's going to, to kill me. Father uh, Steve Macias. Uh, I don't know how to say his last name, gents. You know what Masias? I'm talking about? Is that it? Masias? That's that's what I always assume, but I'm from Texas. so. Yeah, yeah. Well, I go with, with your uh, you know inclinations there over mine because I butchered the English language, as you all know. So. <laughs> but he's over in, uh, in California, as I recall. I want to say over in Northern California. I'm going to look that up while we're, we're chatting uh, to get a plug to where he's formed a, a new institution. Yeah, and he's got, um, gosh, several, uh, drawn several uh, young friends who I've sort of made association with over to his community there. So seems to be a magnet for, uh, that's where all the cool Anglicans are going. So maybe we'll all be there eventually soon. Uh, <laughs> um, but you guys actually bring up a lot, several really good points or sort of, um, uh, features on the ground that surround the issue of uh, education, Christian education, uh, classical or not, um, which is to say that uh, sometimes you have all the options you could wish for locally, um, but um, very, very often it, some of these places can have a waiting list that can be, you know, <laughs> difficult to contend with. Um, some people have no options locally, and so they're trying to figure out, well, what do we what do we do here? Um, you know, in 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 Omaha, we you know had our kids at a at a Catholic school for the early 
sort of grade school years. And then when some of the, you know, doctrines started to become an issue at home, I had to figure out, well, what do we do now? And now they're kind of in a hybrid classical ed, homeschool. They go to school two days a week. They stay home three uh, program, which, you know, we're able to do kind of barely. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you for many families who have um, two working parents, whether they want to be or not, um, this wouldn't be an option, you know. So it's um, uh, as as parents and as Christian parents who want to do the best for um, our kids, it cannot always it's not always easy to know, you know, uh, what to do. And sometimes um, we end up uh, making the choice that we have to, and then, uh, trying to, uh, accent that with maybe some classical at home or, you know, reading through good books at story time. And, you know, I think all of these things are options that parents can, you know, have, have, and, and they can, you know, pursue faithfully. Um, but, you know, sometimes, uh, even if you have this sort of classical liberal arts education, I mean, I mean, part, I guess what one, one thing we might want to address is what is a classical education? And, um, I think, yeah, a lot of people would say it is this sort of liberal arts. Um, very often we talk about the trivium in classical ed and, and so that's grammar and then logic or dialectic and then rhetoric. And, um, Sometimes these are thought of as stages of learning um, or some, you know, maybe emphases at different stages where all three are kind of taking place. Um, and the grammar being, you know, you're going to learn sort of just the raw facts about the world. You know, you're when you're young, if you've had young children, you know that they are sponges and, you know, good, good information and bad information. They're taking it all in. Right. So. You know, one approach to education is to say, well, let's feed them good information and and really take this time to sort of uh, clue them in on some of the big world ideas. I mean, some some of these programs will have uh, like a civilizational timeline from creation up until the present. And you've got kids in grade school memorizing stuff that I have a terrible time keeping track of. Now, do they know what like the decline and fall of the Roman Empire meant and all the details and who the characters were? No. But when they're learning the grammar, they're getting these sort of uh, placeholders in their mind, you know, these bookmarks. And the idea being that when we move into more of the logic and the reasoning behind understanding of what's going on, um, in these sort of placeholders, then we're fleshing out some of that. You, you can return to these placeholders, these uh, grammar placeholders over and over and over again. So that's another thing you see in classical ed is there's very often an emphasis on multiple passes. You know, we're this is not the last time we're going to talk about Napoleon. We're going to come back in, in a year or two and we're going to learn more about this. You know, these all become familiar characters that uh, they they get to sort of enjoy again with more information, with more 
um, head knowledge and even ability. You know, their their reasoning capacity is growing. And then the rhetoric side is um, this idea that when you understand something, we really understand something, that's great. But can you communicate this, right? Can you compose an original work explaining this thing to someone else, whether it's in writing or in a speech you're making and, and so on? And I think this is, uh, this is a great just model for understanding learning, and, and it does this thing that classical Anglicans like, which is it really honors the past, and encourages us to, um, rather than this sort of modern hubris of, well, we know everything, you know, there's no kids curriculum that we need that's older than 15 years or so or whatever, you know, like, like there's a point of saying, you know, part of this grammar phase is um, learning some of the things, some of the stories that maybe our grandparents or great grandparents learned. So, you know, I got to read through Laura Ingalls Wilder with my daughter, you know, and um, it's a great beginning to read book that just so happens to be a classic, right? This puts her into the conversation and a familiarity with real content that, you know, uh, my grandmother lived, right? And so part of it is, is you're, you're sort of um, really rooting people into this civilizational conversation that um, allows you to be conversant with and to understand other people from other generations um, and hopefully, you know, preserve, you know, as a tradition for further generations. Um, so it's a great model for education. But w the reason I was on the Ars Politica podcast is I, I, I tweeted something that made a bunch of people mad. <laughs> oh, and would you say the great books is, part, is a big part of that too by the way yes absolutely um yeah the the and especially the the that series that was um edited by uh mortimer adler the great books of the western world um you know these are this is sort of that that grammar these are the 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 works that are important um, not just arbitrarily because of who the people were, but because they've had an impact on our society for good or for bad. This is, these are the building blocks. We do things, we live the way we do now because of Plato, Aristotle, Augustine, um, Rousseau, right? You know, uh, again, for better or for worse, you know, there's some, some stuff in there I don't want my kids to like learn and imitate. Um, but I do want them to understand because this is the world they live in. Right. And so for reasons exactly like that, I think, um, a classical education is, is kind of the, the thing that I think is really called for in our modern age, because it forces you to, to really get a grasp of how we arrived here. And I think that when you understand that, and when you understand a lot of the theory behind, say, the messaging that we're all bombarded with from the media, from, you know, people who want our money, people who want our votes, people who want our loyalty, social media, friends, and so on, um, you can really kind of see, first of all, what's driving some of this. 
hopefully, you know, the, the idea is that you, you can kind of be not utterly impervious, but at least you can cut through it and really just sort of um, be less moved by the, the winds of, of change, you know, and, and hopefully be a grounded soul. But that's not why I got in trouble, because a lot of people agree with that. <laughs> you know, what, what made people upset was um, that I said, and, and I'll, I'll just kind of go back to my first tweet. My fear is that classical education movement will produce a generation of beautiful souls that are woefully unprepared to make a decent living. We need a concerted effort to fuse the learning that was once reserved for the aristocracy with a working class competency. And that sort of talk kind of made all sorts of people, you know, triggered from a variety of uh, perspectives and for different reasons. But um, gosh, you know, I look at how the economy is going. I look at inflation and I don't think this is just a classical education or even a, just a Christian conversation. I think we're all going to be faced with some really hard choices and, um, you know, as a father, I can't help but think, boy, I hope my son has a easier time finding gainful employment than I did, you know? So, uh, I don't know. I've, I've talked too much. What do you guys think of all that? I do know that at least, um, the, the local classical ed, uh, co-op, not co-op, um, charter school network that we have here has a super high college graduation rate, um, or, or not necessarily graduation, but going to college rate, like 98%, and uh, which which is really good. But the other thing, of course, is that um, <laughs> is, uh, is 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 college preparing people for 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 work right now. You know how, right. how many how many folks do we know that might have their their bachelor's degree, but they're you know they're unable to find work beyond maybe being a barista or, or, you know, something else. And they can be massively in debt, massively in debt. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's really good. And, and, and I I guess a question I would have is, um, is vocational training the point of what happens in that six years, five, six years old, to 18 year old range. Is that, is that how that should be? And I don't that's, have an answer. That's, that's the question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll chime in on that because, because Jesse, I thought it was interesting that your, your tweet became a little bit controversial because I was head nodding on it. Uh, Cause my perspective is that, you know, homeschooling of any kind, much less doing an educa- a classic education, you know, really provides far more educated, far better educated uh, persons but it doesn't necessarily correlate with employability. And as parents, you know, me just speaking as a dad, I want to raise kids who are educated, you know, understand how to critically think, understand how to have an opinion and to articulate it, regardless of whether or not they want to join the debate club, you know, but just to be able to articulate what they believe in and why, because it's also a call to scripture to always have a ready defense for the faith that we believe in, the hope that we have. But also at the same time, be able to to push and to steer them when they're of age uh, to be employed of getting their first job of thinking about, you know, while you were young, you know, 
eventually you're going to go into a vocation to discern that early on and to think about, you know, what does that look like? And therefore, what do I need to do to prepare myself in order to start my own family, uh, to be faithful to the scriptures and to be prepared uh, to take ownership of becoming an adult? Um, this is a little bit off topic, but it's just too common for today for us to keep pushing childhood, you know, into your 20s. And mm-hmm. I swear, like into your 30s almost. And for me, when I was 14, my dad was looking for a job for me and was basically told, like, uh, they might have changed laws again, but it's basically you could be a paper boy and like one other thing. And uh, and there's just there's no existence of paper boys, you know, anymore. So and my dad begrudgingly waited until I was 15 and was like, all right, you got to get a job. <laughs> you know, I will, I will drive you to work and actually you'll drive yourself, you know, with a permit to learn how to drive. But um, you've got to get a job. Uh, if you want to have a car, you've got to have responsibility in order to pay for the things that you need to pay for. You're getting a checking account. And I thank him for that because he's basically teaching me, like, you've got to learn your responsibility. But likewise, we also need to think about what's the long term end goal of vocation while you're doing a classical education or any education, whatever your, your children are in, simultaneously asking, questioning and thinking about. What sort of training could you do today that would help you out tomorrow? Whether or not it's learning how to code, which I don't know a lick about, but you know, perhaps learning how to code in the computer sciences, uh, going ahead and getting training, you know, early on in terms of uh, a variety of items that a machine shop or other so-called blue-collar uh, positions uh, utilize. My dad worked for a carpenter uh, when he was a teenager. You know, gained skills that he'll never lose for the rest of his life. Items like that, I think, need to be included and are just as important as the education we provide our kids. So I'll stop talking now. No, I I think this is all good stuff. Um, And we've already kind of touched on what I would say are sort of the two tracks that people sort of tend to be on. Um, And uh, as you said, Isaac, I mean, I don't think classical educated students um, are become poor college students or or even necessarily have any real trouble getting into college. Um, But I do wonder if college is simply being oversold ever since the last recession, you know, the the uh, bachelor's degree kind of became the new high school diploma, which was sort of just another kind of hoop that you needed to get in so you weren't sorted out of the HR stack of applications, you know? Um, so, so I, you've got all these people who are sure they're, they, they have the capacity to be in college, but then, you know, uh, what, one thing I encountered like, and I didn't, you know, I kind of had, I had a, a weird route of education. I, I didn't go back to college until I was much older. Um, and I went to actually kind of like the top college in town, this private Jesuit school that happened to have like these like ma- amazing scholarships for old people who wanted to go back to school. And uh, so, you know, I went back for, you know, uh, a fraction of the price that my other, you know, students were. And I was thinking like, like this is great. I'm getting such a great deal. Um, but one thing that a lot of people don't realize or don't think about in these institutions is um, that many people who are sort of have uh, sort of a generational um, competency when it comes to, you know, going to grandpa's alma mater or whatnot, 
Um, they also, their family has this sort of inherited wisdom when it comes to uh, setting kids up for success, right? And so even though I was paying less than the kid next to me, his dad had like a paid internship ready for him the day he walked off the stage, right? Um, and so who got the better deal? <laughs> you know? and, and, and that's not to say, well, we should all be, you know, rich and then that would solve all our problems, you know. But there are certain things that I think, um, you know, uh, the upper classes kind of just understand about success that maybe are competencies that we as uh, a different kind of community, maybe a community of faithful believing Christians should think about like, wow, you know, um, especially, and again, especially as the job search becomes more difficult, you know, if you're in a down economy, maybe if, if the economy is great, this might be, not be an issue, you know? And, and, but I think that, um, you know, one thing to think about would be like, how can we be networking with maybe other parents at your school, other parents at your church, who in your church is a small business owner who stands to be able to employ people. Now, I'm not saying this is going to be your final job, but any on-the-job experience, especially in a in a trade, which could become your final vocation, but at the very least, um, you know, we we really stand to give other people a hand up in the world more than we realize. I think. And I, I really yeah. think that the church should be thinking in this way um, in like, how can we be serving the body, you know, and loving my neighbor here in my own parish or in my own, you know, Christian community um, in a way that, you know, because I think we just we just don't like, first of all, as a society, we don't like talking about money. It feels rude, you know, um, but we also, uh, you know, it as a spiritual community, sometimes we can be very like, well, what really world matters is heaven or the world to come and, and not really, you know, we can sort of downplay maybe some of the, uh, you know, some of the things that we hear about in Proverbs, like, you know, the, the, the good man, uh, you know, lays up an inheritance for his children and his children's children. I mean, I was like blown away by that verse. I'm like, well, that feels like a responsibility. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's a great anchor there in terms of like rooting it with the scripture and our call as parents on um, on being good guides and good stewards uh, to just the, the gentle, you know, the, the gentle, the generous treasure that we have in our children. And, uh, you know, I would say that Luther has a lot to say about it in terms of vocation, uh, along with, you know, as Anglicans the way we look towards living life in terms of, of being, you know, disciplined by, uh, by the prayer book, uh, being discipled by the word of God, and therefore seeking to be faithful in what has been given to us. And we typically think of that baton passing, or at least I do, of like passing on the faith once delivered to my children there, it's done, you know, and it's really easy to just kind of like say, and then let school you know, especially if you're not homeschooling, but you're sending your kid to a public or private school. All right. They're doing the education thing. I've got enough to deal with. I'm very busy. Oh, it's about that time for college apps. Can we afford it? Have we planned ahead or not? Maybe help them with the application. And then, all right, go get a job, figure it out, because that's kind of what I did. But that's not our call. 
You know, that, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to be helicopter parents and like, let me pick your career out for you. But being very wise in terms of, you know, helping our kids to start thinking about it very early about you need to find things that you love, find your passions. And I can tell you that despite working odd jobs, you know, as a teenager, my passion would have been in my, you know, video games, you know, or um, I enjoy hiking, you know, like I would be like, well, that's what I'm passionate about. I can't really get paid for that. <laughs> but uh, but it did get me to to think on my own of is there a way to, to be in the outdoors to get paid? You know, looking at stuff like national park um, uh, guides, you know, look at being a ranger, uh, stuff like that. So going ahead and starting that conversation early and encouraging kids like go and do internships, go and get jobs that put you in the path of potential careers that you may like. And I tell this to um especially to young uh, students who are thinking about law school specifically. I'm like, look, before you go and take out more money, you know, on, on doing a very expensive grad school, go and clerk and intern and, and be a runner at a law firm. See if you really like it and uh, and see if, you know, talk with, examine, interview the people you're working with. Take them out for lunch. Take them out for a drink, even though you're like, I don't want to spend that harder money. Spend it because you're investing in yourself to find out what do they like and dislike about their role in their career. And the beauty of, of being in Christ is that God didn't you know, make us for one particular employed opportunity. Uh, the world is our oyster in terms of what we can do in our vocations over the course of our life, You know, where we may be employed and what may be our trade. So go and examine that and don't be afraid uh, to fail. If anything, failing uh, in, in those aspects early will help you to narrow down what is it that I'm good at and I enjoy and try to pursue that. Yeah, I um, I, I was I was uh, in a military family growing up. So, you know, the, the logical thing would have been, OK, go talk to the recruiter. Uh, which which I did at one point. And, um, you know, be, being in military school meant we all took the ASVAB test. And so as seniors, if you did well, you know, you had them calling you, you anyway. Um, didn't want to do that. So 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 I, I went to college, took forever to do it, you know, because I, I was doing it on my own. Um, and, and I and thought to myself many times, OK, I don't really want my kids to go through that same kind of experience, especially with college being so much more expensive these days, you know, getting those six figure figure debts is un, is not uncommon that they'll never pay back. Um, and, and so what what's how how do we do that? And, and I don't really know as far as my kids, except um, I did have a break from somebody that was a um, a leader in a church I was part of back when I was in my late teens, early twenties, who um, said, "Oh, okay, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a business as a real estate appraiser. Um, why don't you come on in and, and while you're trying to figure out what you want to do, while you're going to school, you know, you can, you can come work in the business. I need more help, and, and you need something to do." Um, so I did. One day, <laughs> like fifteen, almost twenty years later, I woke up and said, "Oh, wow, that became a career." while I wasn't looking and um, which, which I still do. You know, I, I mentioned getting that month off. That's not a month off of everything because I'm still, I'm still appraising, um, you know, do, doing that bivocational work, just like I know that uh, uh, 
Andrew is doing that too with the with the law firm as well as the ministry. And you know, one of my goals in ministry has been to phase myself out of appraising. Um, you know, Jesse mentioned that uh, you know the two the two parent income thing. I think these days that's almost essential just because of the way the economy is. You either end up having two parents that are working or one parent that's working two jobs. And when uh, you know my youngest is 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 about a year away from from all day preschool and my my wife wants to go back in the classroom all of which is great um which which was going to be my ticket for phasing out of appraising i'm not 100 sure and i was never going to let my license lapse by the way i was always going to be okay at the very most i'll go inactive and still take my continuing ed and all that stuff but i am beginning to think both in terms of the, the way the the economy looks like it's not going to be doing good. We're, we're probably staring down another recession, everybody says. But also, on a, on a more kind of as thinking as a pastor, thinking as a rector, what am I going to do for my parishioners who lose their jobs because they're not willing to give the pinch of Caesar during during Pride Month? And maybe I need to be like that guy when I was in my my teens and twenties, who provided something for other folks, I don't know what that looks like, <laughs> but but I'm 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 thinking that maybe maybe the best the best thing, not just for my kids as they get older, but also for as as a pastor. Well, I think that's a, a great consideration. I mean, um, and a perfect example of the sort of thing that I, I think that could be called for. You know. Um, regarding the struggles that we'll face. I mean, and again, there's the economic struggles that everyone will face, but as you mentioned, Isaac, uh, part of <laughs> being the kind of person that we hope that a classical Christian school or any kind of Christian, thoroughly Christian education is going to raise up is going to mean increasingly, it would seem, unless things do a 180 reverse, being the kind of person that many places will attempt to weed out, to persecute. Um, and so having uh, the kind of hardy, materially, you know, viable um, options available to them is going to be important for uh, Christians of, and children of faithful Christians. So I, I think... Um, I, I really do think that that being able, like your story of having someone give you a hand up in the world, I think so many people who've been successful in any way have similar stories. Yes, yes, the world requires hard work. Yes, there are things you can do to prepare hardworking people with the best information available to them. But you know, in a, again, in the same sense that like those are all things that. Many of which, like someone has to do for you, your parents have to kind of lead your life when you're young. Um, and ultimately, God's grace is what we're all relying on for all of this. Very often, um, it takes an extension of grace from someone else who says, look, uh, you stand to benefit more from this than I do, but I'm going to do it anyways, because I think you, you know, it's the right thing to do. Um, and I think it would be great to sort of because I think that is a, a kind of cultural competency that has largely been lost, especially in modern America, where we're all so atomized and 
kind of expected to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, etc. Um, and as our society sort of becomes more and more forgetful of what some of these um, cultural competencies that that people used to take for granted or understood very well and passed on generation to generation, um, who better to be uh, helping people to remember, you know, some of these keys to human flourishing than the church. Uh, that's so that's kind of like my thing. I'm like, well, you know, I mean, it, when you look at the problems of the world, like, I don't know if there needs to be an official church solution to everything, because then the church becomes like, like, well, what are we not doing? You know, like, well, we've got our own fitness center and, you know, <laughs> and, and, and uh, there's a ball pit in the, in the in the vestry or whatever, you know, like you, you got to draw the line somewhere. But some of these things are I mean, it's a matter of life or death in, in, in a sense for, for many yeah. people. I think that it's it's well brought up though that like just you know as as members of the church as all of us are you know to be thinking about that and to mentioning it you know to, to fellow you know brothers and sisters in Christ who who have you know uh, businesses or in positions of influence in a business say hey by the way when you're thinking about needing somebody you know like let's make sure there's an avenue to post that as part of an announcement it may not be an announcement you make like. In, during your worship uh, service time, your holy communion or morning prayer, perhaps, but to make sure to like maybe slap it on the back of a bulletin, maybe you know like have something, you know, on your web page just so you're in communication. And I bet you a lot of people just hadn't even thought about that of like, oh yeah, you know, like we do need some people. It would be nice, you know, especially you know if it's something that's more temporary or summer job like. I'm like, yeah, why don't we employ one of the the members of the youth, you know? And uh, and use that uh, for something far more productive than some of the youth escapades <laughs> that go on in some churches, uh, including churches that, that I was uh, raised uh, as a youth. You know, we did. Now, don't get me wrong, like going to the summer camp, you know, is fun. It gets you have fun during the, uh, the summer. But uh, well, let's also use it as a time to say, hey, you know, I hear that there is a position open. You know, it's in a uh, uh, some sort of employment opportunity that you're not going to find by just going around to the big chains and name brands and just working in general retail, which is good. You learn a lot from doing that. But hey, here's something that's you know a little bit more solid. You know, I can imagine you know working for uh, an appraiser and just learning more about that line of work. Or like my father, I mentioned he worked for a carpenter. You know, just learning like how to fix, repair, and build things that. Uh, as they come up, you know, things like that are just things that you gain an insight, a perspective, and hopefully a skill that you'll never lose, but you'll use uh, throughout your life. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah, so just kind of looking at all this, I think I think it is super important to make sure that our children are properly educated. I, I don't want them approaching old books like I've had to, where I'm like, okay, wait a minute, I don't even understand what's going on. I have to, I, you know, but at the same time, we also do need to do need to provide a way that they're going to make a living. Um, it's a lot harder than when when we were kids, because you know, it, it's it's almost true that in 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 at least in my generation, college was still the the path to relative success. Um, that's not the case anymore, necessarily. Right, and, and I and I kind of couch all this in a sort of um 
like you said, it's harder now. And in some ways it's because, you know, that blog, The Art of Manliness. They're, they're, Love those whole, guys. Yeah, their whole raison d'etre is there are things that your grandfather knew because his dad taught him and his dad taught him. But maybe it wasn't didn't seem that important to pass on. And all it takes is a, a generational break till suddenly you have grown men who don't know how to tie their necktie or change the oil, et cetera. And many things that I'm guilty of. Right. And so I, I, I think that, you know, like my parents went to school with like shop class and home ec where, you know, some of these social con- competencies were still actually valued, you know, um, as part of education, like we're going to learn about Shakespeare and then we're going to learn to bake, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. and I think that, um, even some of those sorts of, uh, old, old school ways of approaching these things could be uh, beneficial. So I don't have all the answers, but I do hope that, uh, you know, we can inspire people to be thinking about this stuff. And, and I know it's not, uh, a specifically, uh, confessional Anglican conversation, which we usually have. But um, classical ed and obviously Christian education is is happening in uh, Orthodox Anglican communities. So I'm hoping that they'll be thinking about these things as well. Um, and on that note, I think we're uh, we probably should wrap it up. Any final thoughts from either of you? I'll make that quick plug that I promise. Uh, so it's Los Altos Canterbury School um, that Father Steve has his. Uh, classic Christian Academy setup, and then uh, Father uh, Doctor Eric Parker's is St. George's. Um, I forget what's what area of Virginia, but in the really nice part. I think it's <laughs> yeah. in Lexington. I know he's in Lexington with his parish, so I presume it's in the same area. I think we should just put on the mailing address the nice part of Virginia. The nice part, <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> I, re- I received a postcard from the nice part of Virginia. Uh, awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you, gents. Uh, another good conversation. Thank you all for listening to the miserable offenders. Please seek us out on, uh, Facebook and Twitter. And, uh, if you'd like to give us a, uh, review on iTunes or share this show, we appreciate it. So, uh, goodbye for now. Thanks so much. Take care. It was the spirit of our forefathers that built that grand building. I believe that that spirit is with us still and will help us to, to rebuild it one day when we've served and suffered a while, a little longer. Build it again to the, to the glory of, of Jesus Christ. Miserable Offenders is a production of the North American Anglican. Learn more at N-O-R-T-H-A-M Anglican.com.